Good morning, family and friends. It's so great to be here with you on this first Sunday after Easter. And welcome to Bethel Christian Fellowship. This is a house of prayer for all nations, a safe place where strangers become friends and friends become family. So if this is your first time visiting with us, welcome. We're so grateful that you are here. And hopefully by even the end of this message, you will have moved from stranger to friend, and we'd love to welcome you into our family. And for those of you who are already family and friends, welcome back. It's great to be here with you today. My name is Jim Olson, and I had the joy and honor of serving here as the senior pastor of Bethel Christian Fellowship from 1990 to 2016, 26 full years. Uh, and it was a, a wonderful, wonderful uh, time of ministry here in this family. And uh, four years ago, I stepped out to become the president of the Pilgrim Center for Reconciliation, doing work uh, primarily in Eastern Africa, but also all over the United States here as well, uh, bringing hope and healing through the Ministry of Reconciliation. And today, um, our pastor, Steve Rasmussen, has graciously invited me to come and share a word with you today. And God has given me a word to bring to you. And the word that I am bringing today is a word about new beginnings, new beginnings. And our scripture here is a familiar one. Isaiah 43 verse 19 says, see, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up and do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Now, I am aware that many of us feel like we are in the midst of a wilderness and wasteland right now. And uh, it's a difficult time, not only here uh, in our city and in our community, but across the world. As I talk with our partners uh, in Africa and, and receive reports from many places in the world, we know that uh, many of our brothers and sisters in Christ and just many people in the world at large are, are hurting and suffering. And so um, in the midst of that, uh, it's important that we hear what God might be speaking to us in the midst of this uh, challenge, in the midst of this crisis. What is it that he would say to us? And so um, this is a word that came to me very early on in, uh, in, in the midst of all that's happening here for us. And so um, it's a word that I'm excited to share with you here today. So we're going to answer a few questions and uh, hopefully give some encouragement and direction along the way. The first question that I would like to ask uh, seems kind of an odd question maybe to start with, but I think it's an essential question. And that question is, when do new beginnings begin? When do new beginnings to begin? Well, I, you know, the, the obvious answer is, well, they begin when they begin. But, but I think we need to unpack that a little bit more to understand because, um, I think that this is actually an essential part of recognizing what God might be doing in this particular season of our life together, both as a church community here in 
I think, for the worldwide church, actually. So when do new beginnings begin? Well, I want to give you an answer that might feel a little bit counterintuitive. The first place that I think we can see new beginnings beginning is in the winter. Now, we understand winter here in Minnesota. For those of you that might be listening from warmer climates, this one might not be quite so obvious or recognizable to you, but anybody who lives here in Minnesota understands and knows that winter can be long. As, uh, you know, as we say, or as my dad used to say, you know, uh, Minnesota has nine months of winter and three months of bad sledding. Or, uh, we have two seasons, winter and road repair. But sometimes the winter can seem like it goes on a long time. I mean, we got five inches of snow on Easter. And so many of us have been yearning and longing for spring to actually come and stay. And I think it actually is going to do that now. So we're grateful for that. But what I think I want us to understand and, and, and recognize, I mean, we think that, that new beginnings happen in the spring season, but, but the actual fact is new beginnings happen in the winter. I mean, it may seem like a time when of, of barrenness where, where there isn't much activity, but that's only because we can't actually see what's going on. Now, Jesus spoke about something similar to this uh, in John 12, verse 24. In John 12, verse 24, he says, Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. So in the wintertime, it feels like things are dying. And maybe it feels like right now things are dying. I mean, you know, there's the tragedy of, of thousands of people who are losing their lives. There is a lot of death happening. And, 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 and we carry the grief and the burden of that in our hearts and in our souls. But it seems like, you know, maybe livelihoods and dreams and so many things may seem like they are dying. But the reality is that out of that dying, it is actually in the dying that new life can come. I mean, when did the new beginning happen? Of course, we, we think of Easter and we go, yes, this is when the new beginning happened, when Jesus came out of that tomb. But I would say that the new beginning actually happened when he went to the cross and it was in his dying that the power of sin and death was broken as then he rose from the grave, that the dying and the raising were inextricably linked to one another. And you can't have the resurrection without the death. And so winter is a place where new beginnings begin. New beginnings also happen in the waiting. Now, I, uh, as anyone who knows me would know well, I... Patience isn't one of my um, strongest or most evident fruit of the Spirit in my life. Um, I have a challenge waiting. And yet, the Scripture gives us so many different um, uh, encouragements and illustrations of people who waited. I mean, how long did Abraham wait for a son? How long was Moses waiting in the backside of the desert? How long were the people of God uh, waiting to enter into the promised land? Waiting is a very significant part of our journey with God. 
And sometimes we just want to skip over the waiting, not recognizing that it is actually in the waiting that God may be doing something and, and preparing something and birthing something, conceiving something in our souls. In Habakkuk 2.3, there's the familiar scripture that says, For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. Now, we get sort of a similar scripture in uh, at the end of Hebrews 10. It, it says, you know, in a little while, we're, we're to persevere because in a little while, he who has promised will come and will not delay. But as you and I both know, sometimes God's little whiles and our little whiles are very different things because he's, he's you know, he's living in the context of millennial, millennium, and we're living in the context of nanoseconds. But if I could encourage you today, in this waiting time when you are, uh, you know, sheltering at home, when you are waiting for the orders that hopefully will come when, when the, 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 the opening gets, happens again and, and we're able to go out and interact and be with one another. But in this waiting time, it isn't necessarily a barren or fallow time. It's something, it's a time when God, I think, is tilling in our souls and preparing and doing a work for the, for the new things that he desires to conceive and birth in our souls. A third place that's very scriptural that we see over and over again is the wilderness. The wilderness is a place that has um, immense significance in the scripture. So much of what happens for leaders and the people of God happens in the wilderness. And one of my favorite scriptures, and if you've heard me speak before, you may have heard me share about this scripture, is from Psalm 84, verses 5 to 7. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools, and they go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Now, I don't want to pause and preach a whole sermon on this, though I am certainly tempted to do so. But I do want you to notice here, it says, blessed are those whose strength, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage as they pass through the valley of Baca. Basically, it's saying, when you pass through that valley, in my experience with the Lord, there have been many wilderness times. You've heard me share before about that phrase, strength to strength. And sometimes we think it's just going to be kind of strength to strength to strength to strength. But my experience, perhaps like yours, is that oftentimes it's strength to strength. There's often a lot of wilderness between the oasises. However, I've also discovered that it's in the wilderness that God does some incredible um work in my soul. And in fact, probably most of the maturing that I've done as a follower of Christ has happened in the context of those wilderness times. As one of my uh, spiritual directors uh, shared with me, um, one of my mentors said, you know, 
never let a good wilderness or crisis go to waste. Because God's got something to teach us there. Well, that brings me to my next question. What is it? What is it that we can learn in the W's that will prepare us for new beginnings? What is it that we can learn while we're in the wintertime, while we are in the midst of waiting, while we're in the wilderness? What is it that God might teach us? Well, the first thing that I think that God can teach us here is humility and honesty. Humility and honesty. There's nothing like a good winter, a long waiting, a hard wilderness to bring us to the end of ourselves. When we realize that, oh, goodness gracious, I'm actually not in control. Oh, no. But it's true. We aren't in control. Every breath that we take is dependent on him. We just don't think about it and we don't recognize it until sometimes we're put in a position like here where, yeah, we are needing to acknowledge our dependence, a declaration of dependence on him. The other thing here in the context of this is that honesty because what it does is times like this sort of peel away some of the layers, the carefully constructed um, veneers that we have, and we start to get, things start to get real. I remember years ago when um, I was uh, consistently, um, I had a, a consistent rhythm of, of, of fasting in my life uh, at, and, and at the direction of the Lord in that time. And it seemed like every time I fasted, I would get angry. And um, I would blame it on a lot of things. And finally, one time the Lord just said to me, well, maybe there's an issue of anger that needs to be addressed. Ooh, ouch. Really? Well, yeah. See, sometimes we need to find out what's actually in our heart. And it's times like these. It's the pressure cooker times. It's those W times that can bring us to the place where we actually have to face ourselves. You know, the old acronym HALT when you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Um, I would add a, a HALTS, an S, when you're in the middle of sabbatical or Sabbath or whatever. time, When you're out of your usual rhythms are opportunities for you to face yourselves. That's what the... That's what the Israelites found out, Deuteronomy 8.2. It says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years. Why? To humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. Humble and test us to bring us to humility and honesty. The second is failure and faithfulness. Another thing that we learn in the context of these times, the W's, is we learn about failure and we learn about faithfulness. So um, I don't know about any of you, but, um, you know, I don't always get it right. Um, I don't always operate um, as my best self, as they would say. And um, there are times, and particularly when in the midst of the pressures where, again, sometimes, actually, we feel like we don't pass the test. 
And that can be hard. And, and if we're not careful, we can get into a cycle of sort of beating ourselves up and we sort of just, you know, corkscrew ourselves down into the ground and I'm a worm and I'm nothing but a worm and I'll never be anything but a worm. And that actually isn't particularly productive. I think one of the things that failure can do is it can press us into more deeply the faithfulness of God. And we can turn in repentance and say, okay, here I am again. You see me, you see, see me as I am. You, you know who I am. You know that I am simply dust. I, I, I've messed up, but God, I'm, I'm, I'm coming back. I'm, I'm falling on your mercy and your goodness and your faithfulness again to pick me up and to help me move forward and turn me around. And, and God, over this long time, you're going to continue to shape me and reshape me into your image. I love this scripture in Luke chapter 22. Uh, it takes place here um, on Jesus's final night with his disciples when he's sharing the last supper with them. And he's, he's sharing and opening his heart to them. And there's all kinds of things. I mean, it's recorded, you know, five chapters in the Gospel of John. But here in Luke, he, he gives us an insight into one particular thing that I think speaks beautifully to this issue of failure and faithfulness. Here Jesus speaks to Peter. And he says these words, Simon, Simon, Satan is asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Now here's Simon, the reed who had become Peter the rock. But Jesus recognizes what's going on in Peter's heart. And knows that there's a, a wavering happening in Peter's soul. And sure enough, that very night, as Jesus had said would happen three times, he denied Jesus, while Jesus was in the courtroom. And he went away and he wept and he recognized that he had failed and he was brokenhearted, just like often we are brokenhearted when we find ourselves failing. And yet, that wasn't the end of the story. Because if you read in John chapter 21, Jesus meets once again with his disciples on the beach. And there he reinstates Peter into his full calling and gives him an opportunity. Peter, over and over again, three times he says, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Three times Simon gets to rewrite the script, as it were, to step out of the failure into the arms of the faithful one, Jesus. And now the arms that have wrapped around him in faithfulness, Peter can now take his arms of faithfulness and wrap around others who are struggling. As it says in 2 Corinthians 1, with the same comfort we have received, we are able to comfort others. And I think that comfort comes in the context of grief, but it also can come in the context even of our failures. The times where, where we've been, um, you know, where we've missed the mark. But God has brought us back and we can help others and encourage them in their journey to come back as well. It's part of our Christian experience. And it's one of the things that we learn in the W's. In addition to 
learning about humility and honesty and failure and faithfulness. The third thing that we learn in the W's of winter and waiting and wilderness is we learn about truth and tools. Truth and tools. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul's giving instruction to the church at Ephesus about putting on the armor of God. And towards the end of that uh, section of scripture in verse 17 and 18, he tells them, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Now, We've been given tools. We've been given this armor. We've been, we've been given the opportunity to, to discover those things that will enable us to successfully traverse those winter waiting wilderness seasons. They've come from God and they're gifts given to us. So he's given us, uh, the truth to do that. Uh, found here in the scriptures. I mean, in times like these, we find ourselves drawn. I, I hope and pray that you're finding yourself drawn deeper into the truth because, you know, there's a lot of voices out there saying a whole lot of things. And, and, and this isn't even about what's true or lies on, on a natural level, but, but even the, 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 the natural level truths need to open themselves to deeper level truths. Because there is a, a, a deeper reality even beyond what we can sometimes see with our eyes or hear with our ears or touch with our hands. And so it's these seasons, these W seasons that draw us deeper into the truth. And again, he's given us then tools to effectively face the challenges that we are in the midst of. And he gives those right here, the word of God and prayer. I mean, those are the two basics, but, but I find myself drawing on them even more and more in this season of time now. And I would encourage you to draw on them as well, because those are the tools. I mean, we're, we're often looking for all kinds of other things, which, you know, again, there are practical things that, that are needing to be done. And I'm so grateful for those that are, that are using the, the gifts that God has given to them in order to help us out of this crisis on a practical level. And in addition to that, we have these tools which, which help us with the inward journey as well as with the outward journey, giving us the wisdom and understanding and discernment we need to move forward in Him. So we've looked at two questions already. The first question was, when do new beginnings begin? And the second is, what can we learn in the W's that will prepare us for new beginnings? The third question that I want to ask, and it comes right out of this truth and tools uh, learning, is how are we tested in the W's? Now, a familiar scripture for us, for many of us, um, is in Matthew chapter 4. And Jesus' temptation or testing in the wilderness. It says, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Notice he was led by the Spirit. God led him into the wilderness. Sometimes we want to blame the devil. We want to blame all kinds of things for the W's that happen in our life. And the fact of the matter is, is that there are times and seasons in our life when we are led into those places so that God, again, can do his shaping work in us. This is not something we chose. 
None of us chose to be home for weeks and weeks and weeks and for the suffering and challenges that so many are facing. And yet, in the midst of it, God is with us and we're tested, just as Jesus was. He was to be tempted by the devil and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Well, there's, yeah, that, yes, he was. And the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. The first test that the enemy brings to Jesus and the, the test that I think we're facing here right now in the midst of this challenge and the test that happens in the W's is that of provision. Will we have enough? Is it going to run out? Are we going to be okay? And it says in Deuteronomy 8.3, which is what Jesus quotes here. We already looked at Deuteronomy 8.2 to, to humble and to, to test and see what's in our heart. And then in 8.3, he says, he humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 6, 33, famous scripture, says a very similar thing. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And he, he talks there about the provision of practical things. And so in the midst of this, in the midst of will there be enough, I believe God can speak to us in that place of testing and remind us that he is our source and he is the God of all resource. And he can provide and will provide for us in this place. Second, the question is that of protection. He goes on, and the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. We're in Matthew 4, 5 now. If you are the son of God, if you are, <laughs> challenging him, he said, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answers him. Now, notice the enemy here uses Scripture even to kind of twisted way to twist and to, 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 to trip Jesus up. But Jesus answers him. It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And as it says, so here the, the question is one of, of it, will we be safe? And, and, and Jesus quotes here Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. But Jesus also says, so, so, or, or the enemy is actually quoting that to Jesus. But it's true. There's a reality here. The enemy is trying to twist it, but, but there's a, a reality that Jesus can rest in knowing that God does command his angels concerning him, but he doesn't have to prove that by, by, you know, jumping off. No, he doesn't have to prove that by doing something stupid. <laughs> no. He can lean back into and trust and know that he is safe in the hands of God. And we are safe in the hands of Jesus. John 10, 28, 29, Jesus says this, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. The safest place that we can be is in the hand of God. Even when we're in the midst of very difficult situations. 
We may be called and invited and, and friends of ours here in our congregation are serving in places where it is very dangerous. There are times where I've been called and invited to go to places that, you know, the State Department has the do not travel warning on. And yet, and people say, well, why are you going or how can you go? And I'm like, well, there's no safer place for me than in the hands and the will of God. He's the one who is ordained every day for my life. He's ordained every day for your life. So we can trust in his protection, in his eternal protection. For us, nothing can snatch us out. The third question is the question of position. Are we significant? Again, the devil took him up to a very high mountain, verse 8, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. All you got to do, Jesus, is bow down and then you will have. All you got to do is do this and then you will have significance. The world is always offering us because there is a deep desire in us when our basic needs are met. There's another basic need that we have is a need that I count, I matter, I have significance. But Jesus says, away from me, Satan, verse 10, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Deuteronomy 6.13, for the Lord your God, serve him, fear the Lord your God, serve him only and take your oaths in his name. And then the Apostle Peter speaks to us about, talk about significance, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. People. Brothers, sisters, friends, strangers. <laughs> Hear the word of the Lord to your heart today. You have significance because you've been chosen by him. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Do you may declare the praises of him. It's so that he can be glorified. Ephesians 2.10, you are God's masterpiece, his workmanship. He's prepared good works in advance for you to do. You have significance because of whose you are. And when you know whose you are and you know who you are, then you will know what to do. Now, my final question for us this morning is this. What new things are being birthed in this W? What new things are being birthed, conceived and birthed and brought forth in the midst of this winter waiting wilderness time? Just a couple days after I got home from, I, I was in Africa when things kind of uh, started unraveling uh, here and, 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 you know, things were accelerating quickly. I was over in Kigali, Rwanda, and I was supposed to go on to Uganda. And instead of going on to Uganda, I turned around and came home and got home just before uh, travel completely shut down. And a couple days after I got home and I was still, I had done about 50 hours of travel in five days. I'd, I'd left on a, on a, a, a Wednesday to go to, um, or on a Tuesday, I'm sorry, to go to Africa, and I turned back around on Friday night to head back here. My body was all over the place, my mind, everything, and uh, early one morning, before I got up, um, early in the morning, I, I, I sensed the Lord speak something into my heart, which I want to encourage you with as I close the message today. And the word that the Lord spoke to me was, one, was two words, a simple phrase. And the phrase that he spoke to me was pregnant pause. 
This is a pregnant pause moment. This is not a barren pause. It's not one that I think is ultimately leading to a final sort of death or destruction or whatever, all of that. I think it's a pregnant pause in which there's an opportunity for a reset of movement, something new to be birthed in our lives and in the life of his church. I believe God wants to conceive new things and we see new things happening and springing up. And I believe out beyond this, we're going to see many, many new things. So I've been asking myself and the Lord, what are some of those new things? And in our work with the Pilgrim Center, as well as just my relationship here with Bethel and the broader church, what are some new things that are being birthed in this W? Very quickly. Seven things, and you'll be surprised that they all begin with the same letter. But that's the way God speaks to me. So... The first is connection. God's birthing new connections, new ways of connecting. There's a hunger and a longing for connection, even though we're having to do it in different ways than we typically do. But there's this great hunger and longing. And I think God is like in a rewiring of a brain where he makes new connections. I believe God's making new connections across the body of Christ, relationally and partnership-wise. And and in many ways, we're finding God's... uh, It's amazing what's happening with the connections that God is doing. Secondly, there's this, uh, and it's related to that, but I believe another thing that's being birthed out of this is, is actually deeper community. We're finding how much we really do need each other. You know, that's the big, we're, t- we're better together or we're all in this together. We hear that over and over again, and it's true because we are in this together and we're recognizing our need for community. We're not rocks. We're not islands. We're not, is- we're isolated right now in our homes, but there's this longing and desire. It's, it's awakening that desire for deeper community. And if you're not part of a community, I would encourage you to become a part of that. If you've been sort of on the outskirts or drifting around, I encourage you to, 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 to become a part of the community. This is a wonderful community at Bethel Christian Fellowship. And we would invite you to become a part of this community. But wherever God leads you, find a community that preaches the truth in the spirit and engage with that and become a part of that because it's enormously life-giving. A third thing that God is birthing is a, a deeper sense of compassion, which means to suffer with. We see people suffering and, and there's a drawing in our hearts and a desire to do something. And sometimes we don't even know what to do because it's so hard to know how to do something when you're sheltering at home. But I think God is going to give us opportunity to even build a greater, um, uh, he's expanding our hearts in compassion for our brothers and sisters, for the world around us, for the larger world, which is suffering. A fourth thing is cooperation. We're, we're finding that we really do in this needing of one another that we can cooperate together with one another. And really what, uh, um, you know, what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes is true, that two is better than one. And a cord of three strands is not easily broken because two can do more together than one can do on their own or two ones can do on their own. But when together we can move something forward, there's a a call towards cooperation. I've talked about this earlier in the sermon, but there's a cleansing that's happening. This is a season of cleansing. It is a time where we're coming face to face with ourselves. And sometimes we don't always like everything that we see. But it's an opportunity for us to come back and, 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 and as it says in John 15 in the vine and the vine dresser, it's a time of, of pruning and cleansing of our lives 
so that we can move into these new things that he is birthing in us. Uh, final two things. The, the sixth one is creativity. I believe that God is, is birthing creativity all over the place. We see it in the, you know, we see businesses who are adapting and adjusting and doing things and, 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 and repurposing and, and, and coming up with new ideas. I mean, it's incredible the kind of creativity that happens. What do they say that, um, necessity is the, is the birth of, of, of birthplace of, of, of creativity, of new things. And, and we're in a necessity time. And I believe God is doing things and, and we won't be the same on the other side. It's, and it, and that's a good thing because I think God's doing creative things that are, are going to just blow our minds and, and, and blow our hearts and spirits open with new things. So be open to that creativity. And the last is courage. And we see this over and over again in people. And I, I just want to urge us and encourage us to, to continue to walk in courage because it's the courage that God is giving to us to face down the challenges and the crisis that we're facing. And we do not have to walk in fear. Yes, we need to walk prudently. Yes, we need to walk with practical wisdom. You know, the two are not, uh, courage and practical wisdom are not opposite of one another. We need to walk in that wisdom. But we can walk in that wisdom courageously in him. So my last word here is particularly for our Bethel family. And... um I just want to encourage us with a word again for Bethel Christian Fellowship. Over 50 years ago, one of our, 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 our second pastor here, Helen Jepson, had a prophetic image. And in that image, she, she saw a rose blossoming in the desert and, and out of, uh, Isaiah chapter 35 and, and there it's translated a crocus or a rose, but, and, and we have this beautiful flower that you've seen in the back here. And that's the backdrop to the, to the message I've been bringing here today is, is that flower that is being birthed in the midst of that wasteland, in the midst of that wilderness, in the midst of the waiting in the winter, there is something new being born. And so I want to speak one once again to my family, whom I love. I want to speak again this word of hope to us and to you personally and specifically as a part of this family. And as well as I would just want to spread this out to any who are hearing this and, and watching, I, I believe that God is speaking once again, that the desert and the parched land will be glad, and the wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. And the glory of Lebanon will be given to it, and the splendor of Carmel and Sharon, and they will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Out of this desert and parched land time, gladness will come. Out of the wilderness, rejoicing and blossoming. Blooms, rejoicing, shouts of joy. God is doing and working in the midst of all of this. New beginnings. And I just want to pray for us right now and then pray a benediction blessing. So Lord Jesus, in the midst of this time, and you know exactly where those who are seeing and hearing and receiving this word are. Lord, you know their lived life and their particular address and specific situation that they're facing and all of the challenges, all of the wonderings and the waiting 
in the wilderness, in the winter, and all of that, God. And Lord, I, I, I pray right now that, Lord, you would, you would help us to open our perspective to see afresh. Lord, to, that, we, that we would see this not as, as barrenness, but, Lord, as, as pregnant pause, as, as in the midst of this wilderness, that you are doing new beginnings. Lord, help us to learn in this, these W's, Lord, those things that you want to teach us. Lord, show us the answers to the testing, just as when Jesus went through those. Help us to go through that. And birth in us, conceive in us, these new things that you are going to do. Lord, we want to see them spring up the way in the wilderness, the streams in the wasteland, the new thing. Thank you, God. Bless your people today, I pray. And now may you be filled afresh with the immeasurable love of God the Father, with the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son, with the inexhaustible strength and power, comfort and hope of the Holy Spirit be with you and yours. As I go from this house and you are at your house, (laughs) but I pray that you will be there with the banner of his favor over your lives, as you go as ambassadors of reconciliation, go with that banner. And until we gather again, however it is that we gather, I pray that his love and mercy and goodness will follow you each and every day of your life. Be blessed, O people of God, in the name of Jesus. Amen.